You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you, and welcome to the Drive Time Show. My name is Fahim Nasir, and I'm here with my colleague and friend Raheel Ahmed. We're having an interesting show today. We're going to be looking back at the last year because we're looking at specifically at June. And I think we're going to reflect, um, and and really, you know, we've had a we've had an interesting year, right? How's, of how's, course, I mean, so many like? different topics that we've discussed. Um, yeah, it's just I think it's something that we we do every year. Yeah. Uh, end of the year, we sort of summarize what we have discussed, and it's just for the listeners to kind of get a gist of you know what we discuss here with yeah. uh, with Islam. And if they find it interesting, then you know they would listen in quite Definitely. more often because whether they're <coughs> listening for the first time or whether they're listening all year round I don't, I don't think they can call in today can they <laughs> <laughs> not today because not today. usually we usually yeah. are you know a lot uh, putting the emphasis on 02086 yeah exactly <laughs> but no um, it's 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 been an interesting year mm-hmm. you know we've discussed a lot of things and we're going to take a look as, as, as we've been going through the whole week we've been looking at different months and today we'll be looking at the month of June um, and in the month of June, you know, the United Kingdom had a, had a, had a busy year this year. Mm-hmm. You know, especially starting off with them, um, you know, we celebrated the late Queen's uh, jubilee, and all over the country there were celebrations. And you know, the Amnia Muslim community um, also took part in various events such as mm-hmm. street parties and receptions. Um, yep. We also raised uh, awareness towards different occasions such as Carers Week or Juneteenth. And spoke to representatives of the Grenfell Memorial. As, as uh, very sadly, this is this is yeah, marked um, five years since the tra- 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 tragedy. Tragedy actually happened. Yeah. Um, and you know, I, I can't believe how time's flying. You know, exactly. And, and, and I think we're uh, even after five years, we're discussing what really you know what were what were actually done for the vi- vi- victims exactly. or you know the fa- families. Yeah. So you know, how how did we keep things? How how do we keep our listeners informed, Rahil? Why didn't you? Let the viewers, uh, listeners know. Oh yeah, of course. I mean, we you know we started the month by informing our listeners to you know, of course, as he was mentioning on the Queen's uh, Platinum Jubilee, which mm-hmm. was celebrated all over the UK, um, which was I think the February the sixth, twenty twenty two, marked that special day where you know when <clears throat> the Queen had become the first British monarch in the history to celebrate a Platinum Jubilee, which marks uh, seventy years 70. of service to this country. Now. I mean, this celebration was huge for the whole country and it included the four-day bank holiday weekend filled with public celebrations, processions and, 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 and actually people getting together to witness this historic event. And many of you, you know, may be wondering why this event is being celebrated in June, even though the university was in February. Yeah, and that was, I was literally just about to ask you that. Yeah, I mean, I mean the reason behind this is that... Um, you know, both days hold actually great significance. February the 6th marks the date on which the Queen you know, acceded to the throne on the death of her father, George the uh, 6th, I guess, yes, yeah. Yeah, in 1952. However, more importantly, it was the Queen's coronation that took place on the June 2nd, 1953 at Westminster Abbey in London. 
Therefore, the celebrations commenced on the 2nd of June. Oh, good to know. Good yeah, to know interesting. Um, why don't we give the listeners a bit of a history uh, mm-hmm. lesson? Uh, the Queen was born at 2.40 a.m. on 21st of April 1926 at 17 uh, Bruton Street in Mayfair, London, and was the first child of the Duke and Duchess of York, who later became King George VI and Queen Elizabeth. On her 20th, 21st birthday in a speech broadcast on the radio from Cape Town, the Queen, then Princess uh, Elizabeth, dedicated her life to the service of the Commonwealth, where she said, um, I declare before you all that my whole life, whether it be long or short, shall be devoted to your service. And um, this, is, this is where I, I think we want to talk about um, a book that the, the Promised Messiah um, actually wrote. Um, it titled Tofa uh, Kesaria, yeah, yeah. uh, a gift for the Queen, mm-hmm. and um, on on the occasion of the Diamond Jubilee uh, of Her Majesty Queen Victoria, um, this this book was, you know, um, pr- uh, written and yeah. um, it, it was gifted. it was basically it. sent as a gift yeah. by the Prophet Sallallahu and of course, Prophet Sallallahu at that time living in basically British India, um, the ruler being Her Majesty you know, at the time, Queen mm. Victoria. And basically, the book basically outlined the beautiful teachings of Islam, you know, which can establish peace and brotherhood. Because, you know, this the, this idea of Islam being a very violent faith is not something that's new. Mm. If you if you were to look at history, this was something that was also being discussed at that time. Mm. You know, Christian missionaries who went to India, they were also, uh, you know, propagating this this idea uh, of, of, of this faith being very violent and all these things. So, so it was important for the Prophet Messiah and, and, and also important for the government to actually know what the truth is, right? Of course, there are fractions of you know, um, you know, people or fractions uh, in, in in society which believe in such idea, you know, ideologies. They exist in you know all religions hmm. or um, all all sorts of societies. So this you know this uh, basically environment enabled the Prophet society to to propagate the message for which you know God Almighty had actually commissioned him. Hmm. And by the grace of God, the community uh, of the Prophet society actually. You know, basically continues to benefit from 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 the same peace and 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 freedom uh, in the UK and is engaged in serving Islam throughout the world from you know its its head headquarters in uh, now Islamabad, which is Tilford, of course. Yeah. So I mean, this 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 this, this was the whole relevant relevance. You know, um, it's still relevant today, right? <coughs> of course. You know, we live in a country where we are all free to. Ex- express our faith mm-hmm. and I think you know sometimes you can forget that especially with sometimes when you think about the things that are happening in Pakistan as well yeah um, where the Muslims aren't able to express their faith and you know it's 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 something that you know I think it's unfortunate as you, you you see around the world you know where wherever you know such things are happening um, and, the, and, the, and, the, and then you look you know you, you basically ponder and you think in the country that you're living in, although there's so many things that we can improve upon, but we should, you know, as as a matter of thankfulness as well, we should mention the good as well, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are issues here. We do speak about um, the, the the portrayal of Islam in Western media. Yep. How that's bias is another word, but you know, but you know, there is a clear narrative towards you know portraying Muslims as terrorists or as yeah. violent or you know, ne- negative people. Which you've had people. many shows on. Exactly. Yeah. But then on the other hand, you ha- we have this opportunity. We have Voice of Islam here. Yeah. We're, we're spe- sitting here speaking exactly. here for people to listen to us and actually judge for themselves. Whereas in certain countries, you may even not be allowed to you yeah. know, speak your opinion or um, you know, answer al- allegations you know, about yourself, which is the case in 
Pakistan and various other mm. you know countries. I think uh, it's, I think you said it's quite. It's it's very easy to sit there and you know point out a bunch of flaws, right? Mm. But when things when things are done well and when things are <coughs> good, you should point them out as well. Absolutely, right? I think that that's just a point of fairness. Yeah, right. Um, and you know we are we are extremely fortunate to have this freedom and as as we live in a time where religion is declining and secularism uh, secularism is on the rise many nations actually wish to remove religion from their state mm-hmm. and take the freedom of speech and expression away especially when it's linked to religion so mm-hmm. us being able to speak to everybody and, and give their opinion of of Islam on a lot of contemporary issues i think it's yeah. it's great and you know i enjoy this because i, I learn as long as and I'm sure the listeners learn as well. Absolutely. But um, there is no doubt that the the queen holds uh, a position of power, but also great respect. And the uh, and the MDM Muslim community has rightly recognised that. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the on the occasion of the queen's diamond jubilee, uh, His Holiness Hazrat Mirza Masrur Ahmed, the present uh, spiritual leader of the worldwide Ahmadiyya Muslim community. <coughs> has said may our congratulations filled with happiness and gratitude to our compassionate queen be conveyed and may the honorable queen always be kept happy and content o powerful and noble god through your grace and blessings keep our honored queen forever happy in the same way that we are living happily under her benevolence and kindness and be kind and loving to her in the same way that we are living in peace and prosperity under the, her generous and righteous rule this message is filled with prayers and wishes for the Queen setting a great example of how monarchs should be respected and appreciated for the work they do. These are the sentiments of gratitude that are held by every Ahmadi Muslim who is a British <coughs> citizen. So I think it was, it was really important to highlight that because I think that, as, as we mentioned, we, we get a lot out of, of being able to express ourselves and you know, that's where a lot of problems can often, you know, people can face problems when they don't feel like they can express themselves. So I think that that message was a, a really great sentiment. Um, and, you know, we similarly heard from uh, the national president of the UK MD and Muslim community, Mr. Rafiq Kayat, who also expressed his feelings of joy and pride. We share, it's where he said, we share in our country's pride and joy at Her Majesty the Queen's Diamond Jubilee. It is our heartfelt prayer that may God continue to protect the Queen and we look forward to the festivities of the Jubilee weekend and to make those as inclusive as possible. So it's, it's, it's great sentiments and you know that's how we kicked off um, the beginning of June. Um, yeah. And I think we're going to give uh, the listeners... Um, uh, an understanding of, of some of the conversations that were happening. Um, we'll be talking. Uh, we've got a clip here from uh, Sir Iftikhar Ayaz. And I think before we actually play that, it's, it's it's important to highlight what was being discussed there because, you know, the question of um, you know, praising the British government um, for their policies on freedom of expression, freedom of belief, uh, things which we, which which were you know which the the, the Muslims of India at the time also benefited from which the promise was I praised was something that uh, you know was was put forward is usually put forward by the opponents of the community as an allegation to say you are someone who's planted by the British to yep. to revoke the idea of jihad which is very fundamental to Islam from the minds of the Muslims so the promise was I actually dealt with that on, on uh, you know on a, on, on a very deep level and explained that jihad does not just constitute to you know uh, 
a violent war, yeah. right? That also has its context at the time of the Prophet being yeah. defensive and, and, and why they were forced. So there's a whole context to it. And and, and so, and, and, and then there, there were many other non um, Ahmadis, I said, who didn't even believe in the Prophet, who, mm. who, who agreed with this point that a ruler which gives you a, a sense of security and, and, and freedom to practice your faith, it, Islam you know, totally negates this idea that, you're, you're, that you should stand against that ruler. Just, just because that ruler is not a Muslim. Yeah. Are, you, are you getting my point? 100%. And then you've got example of that from the time of the Prophet, peace be upon him himself, when he t- sends those being persecuted in uh, Makkah at the time to Abyssinia, mm. you know, the king being Christian yeah. at the time, who gave them refuge and, uh, and you know, they, they lived there in, 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 in peace. So, 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 so the same is you know, reflected here, but Sarif Tukhariyaz, um, you know, is, is someone who... Uh, you know, we interviewed, um, and, and and he actually spoke on his top to- topic and, uh, and actually elaborated. Definitely. So let's hear from him now. It's an honour to have uh, Sir Dr. Um, Iftikhar Ayaz, who is a recipient of a number of awards. In fact, I think just over 40 mm. awards. He is an OBE and KBE, and it is a pleasure to have him on the line with us. Uh, good afternoon, welcome, assalamu alaikum, and peace be on you, sir. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullah. What an honor and pleasure to join you in this August program. Thank you. Uh, one thing that I think is delightful for me and everybody else is that I am one of the recipients of uh, the Platinum Jubilee Queen's Medal. Wow. Yes. So that's, that's uh, a quite uh, a delightful historical uh, pleasure and honor for me. And I think uh, that is something... Uh, which is not only for me, it is for our community, for our friends in the community. And of course, I mean, you know, personally, my sentiment is that this is a blessing of being a member of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community and being faithful and loyal to Khilafat Ahmadiyya and the prayers of our beloved Huzur, the master of the community. So those are some of the basic facts. Um. And I don't know what Exactly, you don't, would like me to say. I, I, well, don't, don't, uh, so, so, Dr. Yaz, if, if I may, before you answer all of my questions, <laughs> I, I would. You, you've kind of taken me. You, you've created beautifully the bridge to what I was going to ask. Yes. What does the jubilee and monarchy mean to you, and what is the significance of the of the monarchy to the Ahmadiyya Muslim community? Well, actually, you see, this goes back to over a hundred years uh, during the time of uh, Her Majesty Queen. Victoria, and and she was the first of the British monarchs who, when the British were the rulers of India, she took a very grand step, you know, uh, to to stop the uh, uh, the religious wars and rivalries and hatred and all those things, uh, and she made uh, uh, a rules and regulations. This was a a great meeting which was held in Allahabad, India. And that's where she uh, issued this uh, uh, order that uh, in India everybody will be free to enjoy their religious rights and there will be freedom of religion in India and there will be no bickering and uh, uh, hate speeches and hate writings against uh, any religious community in the country. And that was a great blessing because that was a time when particularly Punjab was ruled by Sikhs. And uh, 
they were very harsh, uh, particularly in terms of uh, uh, the Muslim practices of religion. And the Promised Messiah was very, very pleased with such directive from the monarch. And I think that was the time when uh, the Promised Messiah himself expressed great appreciation of the British monarchy. And uh, then, of course, later on in 1922, when uh, Prince of Wales uh, visited uh, India, and particularly Lahore, uh, then our second Khalifa, Hazrat Muslim Aoud, he was uh, very appreciative of his visit, and he welcomed him very warmly. And actually, he wrote a special welcome uh, booklet uh, address for him, which was published and is still available. Uh, and uh, so that relationship with the, the British monarchy uh, is, is, is there with the Ahmadiyya Muslim community right from the beginning of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community in 1889. And this has been strengthened by the loyalty and the faithfulness of the Ahmadiyya community to the British monarchs. Actually, actually, this is part of the Islamic teaching that Muslims, wherever they are, under whichever government, they must remain very honest, very loyal, very faithful to the government of the day. No protests and nothing of the sort. If you have any grievances, deal with them according to the rules and regulations which the government has set. And uh, don't disturb the harmony and peace of the country and uh, the government, uh, etc. So that basic teaching is, is the prime... Uh, uh, directive and guidance of the Ahmadiyya Muslims, because Ahmadiyya Muslims, if anything, it means it means the true followers of the teachings of Islam and the precepts of the Holy Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam. And in this age, of course, we not only have the rejuvenation of the teachings of Islam through the messenger of this age, the promised Messiah, but also we have the blessings of Khilafat Ahmadiyya and uh, the Khilafat. Sorry, yeah. doctor. Sorry, so, so doctor. Yaz, if I, if I may ask a next question before you go on to the the the, the current uh, head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, uh, because it's a related question. I mean, as I as I mentioned in your introduction to our listeners, you, you have been blessed with the highest accolades including the OBE, the knighthood, and yet, you, you know, you've received so many different accolades. I mean, I was looking it up and, you know, Alfred Nobel Medal, Ambassador of Peace, Ambassador of Knowledge, Man of the Year, Genius Laureate of Human Development, Outstanding Professional Awards, International Peace Prizes. You've received, you've been blessed with so Queen's, many awards. Queen's Jubilee Award. And, and of course, you've just mentioned the Jubilee Award. Yet, you give more importance to the service of the Ahmadiyya Caliphate. And the reason I asked this question, last week we celebrated Caliphate Week. And I was just looking at, uh, uh, you know, the, the the accolades you have, yet you, when you just were just talking about the Promised Messiah and you were talking about services to, to of, of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community and you are part and parcel of that service um, that you give and, and, the, and, and the work you have done with, you know, um, within the community, you always give 
and you're always more emotional and, and rightfully so. It's more deeply from the heart when you talk about the service to the Ahmadiyya Caliphate. Why is that? You see, the, the, the important thing is that if there is any truth in service to humanity, that is the creation of the Creator, God Almighty, whatever people may call that Creator, that's a different matter. But there is a Creator who has created this universe, humanity, and everything else. Now, the best way to serve that humanity is to follow the fundamentals and principles which have been laid by Islam. And there is absolutely no doubt about that. And I think amongst the so many ideologies and uh, political philosophies and practices and this and that, when you compare the British monarchy, the way the British have been ruling, even under colonialism, you know, various states and countries, poor and rich, you find that their performance is definitely has been the best for humanity. And they have given every subject in every country they ruled the freedom of religion, the freedom of expression, and they have taken care as much as possible. I mean, we cannot say it is faultless, but as much as possible, they have taken care of the fundamental rights of humanity. Now, those are the things which are the cream of our obligations to humanity. And if we are going to remain, you know, uh, loyal, and uh, if we really have a passion to serve the humanity and also take care of our obligations to humanity in general, as Islam has prescribed, then obviously you see that the nearest to the following of those precepts and fundamentals and teachings, you find the British monarchy is, is doing the best. And I have uh, been connected with the British monarchy since 1952, <laughs> when, wow. when, when, when the Queen took uh, uh, her uh, uh, you know, place on the throne. What happened was I was then a schoolboy and she was uh, on a holiday in uh, Kenya, and she was enjoying her time on a treetops hotel. You know, this is a very popular uh, holiday resort in Kenya, the treetops hotels. And that's when she heard uh, that uh, her father, you know, suddenly died of uh, heart failure. And uh, then, you know, the coronation took place, and my father, this is very interesting, my father received the coronation medal and today, I'm receiving a <laughs> wow. platinum jubilee medal. So, I mean, this is just a coincidence. But what I'm saying is, right from that time, day one uh, of her getting onto the throne, during these 70 years, I have been, you know, uh, connected with her in one way or other. For example, when I was uh, a, a student, I was a very active Boy Scout. And... Uh, uh, in, in scouting, you have different levels of achievement. And I got to the highest level, which was the Queen's badge. And I was then about maybe 19, 18, 19 years old. And the Queen sent me 
uh, a special certificate signed by her. And uh, what I'm saying is that connection is there. And uh, so I have had the opportunity of serving the Commonwealth. And when I was working with the Commonwealth, I had uh, very uh, sort of official connection with the, the Crown as well. And particularly, I was very impressed how she had, how he had, she had unified all the 54 countries of the Commonwealth. You know, the old Commonwealth was just four or five countries, New Zealand, Australia, Canada, etc., etc. But then after the decolonization of the world, the Commonwealth became a very, very renowned power in the world. And the good thing about the Commonwealth is that there is nothing like uh, uh, political uh, traditions, you know, uh, voting and this and that. Every, everything done within the Commonwealth is on the basis of consensus. There is nothing, a majority vote and things like that. And then the thing is that the values of the Commonwealth itself are those values which Islam has set for unifying humanity and for fraternity and for brotherhood. Those are basically the values of the Commonwealth. And the Queen has survived, you know, all that. I mean, she's been head of the Commonwealth for the past nearly 60 years uh, because it is from the beginning of the 1960s that decolonization started. And uh, actually, the new Commonwealth took place after the partition of India into India and Pakistan in 1947. But what I'm saying is that a lot of things which the British monarchy has included in its governance are basically related to the teachings of Islam. And that is why I think this country was very, very lucky, very lucky and very blessed that at the time when the community wanted to think of a country where it could re-establish itself after the cruelties that took place in Pakistan after the Ordinance 20 in 1984, the Khalifas, the Khilafat chose Britain for that purpose. And I think a lot of blessings which this country is receiving are an account of the presence of Khilafat Amelia in this country. So I think the, the queen itself is, is very unique. She, she is very different from the rest of her family. I mean, we know the family now. We know her heir, uh, Charles, and we know his heir, William, etc., etc., and we know the rest of the family as well. The human qualities which our queen has are not to be seen in any other member of the royal family as yet. Maybe, you know, when someone of the family comes to the throne, they may change. It, it does happen, you know, with responsibilities. People change their attitudes, their practices change, etc., etc. That may happen. But at the moment, she spent a wonderful, wonderful life. And I think it was her association, as someone was saying earlier on, with all the countries of the world, she made little distinction between this ideology and that ideology. She was always concerned that 
the world should continue to enjoy peace. And I think it was her attitude towards humanity, her attitude towards others, her spirit of tolerance, her spirit of compassion, which has kept the world peaceful all along since she came onto the throne. And it is 70 years of a peaceful world that she has given us. And that is, I think, a great, great gift she has given to humanity. And I've met her personally. I mean, this is not just talking. I've met her at least six times, seven times in my life. Uh, I mean, I've met her a couple of times for investitures, but that was not really uh, a great meeting because it's only a minute or so you mm. talk to her. But I met her and we had a very good, cheerful conversation when she was celebrating her Golden Jubilee in 2012. And there was this reception and nearly the whole of her family was around her and I was with my daughter and we had, I think, at least seven, ten minutes and we chatted about lots of things. And I've always found her down to earth. When you are speaking, talking to her, you don't feel you are talking to a queen, you know, someone higher up there, and you are struck with awe, and you cannot say what you want to say. It's nothing like that. She, she talks to you like uh, a, a human being, you know, and her talk is very, very simple and pleasant and all this. And, you know, with me, whenever I have met her, you know, she visited uh, uh, Tuvalu uh, in 1982. 1982 with Philip and uh, the tradition in Tuvalu is that when such VIPs come they get off uh, the ship and then the elders uh, of uh, the island of the community they uh, they carry them in a canoe on their shoulders to the shore so they walk through the waters and that experience uh, hit her so much you know that Every time I've met her, particularly Philip, he would always talk about those things. Philip was actually uh, working in the area during the Second World War. He was based in Kiribati. And uh, he also, uh, because Tuvalu was then an American base during the Second World War, and he stayed there as well for a period of time. So what I'm saying is they're so much interested uh, in, in the people of the Commonwealth, in the people of the Commonwealth. And as someone mentioned, she's visited over 100 countries of the world, and she's been the most welcome monarch of the world. There are other kings as well from the continent. You know, you have the Queen of uh, uh, Netherlands and this and that, you know, and there are African kings as well. But no one is regarded with such reverence, with such respect, with such love as Queen Elizabeth II. Wonderful. Um, I couldn't have asked for a, a, such a comprehensive and a beautiful answer. Sir, Dr. Eftagarias, thank you so much, sir, for, yeah. for giving us your time um, um, on the Drive Time Show this afternoon. I wish you a fantastic few days ahead. May peace be with you, sir. Thank you very much. And I, I truly appreciate this is, was uh, a great honor joining you people on such uh, a special August occasion. God bless you all and God bless the Queen and God help 
to guide her uh, heirs to continue on her footsteps. Wonderful. Allah bless you. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuhu. Wa alaikum assalam. And that was uh, Sir Iftikhar Ayaz. He was talking about the Queen. Um, and that was that was a great highlight from uh, June. And we'll be moving on to another good highlight, uh, which is where we discussed Juneteenth. And one of the oldest holidays in the USA is, is Juneteenth, uh, which celebrates the emancipation of enslaved African Americans. Um, and however, at a look at recent events, we'd suggest that this freedom doesn't mean that black Americans feel that they are equal to their white counterparts. But um, we're going to hear from one of our... Um, uh, we're going to hear a clip from uh, a, a talk in uh, June where we discussed this with uh, Twana Goldstone. Goldstone um, and we're just going to hear from her now. Twana Goldstone. Uh, who is a history professor and director of the African-American Studies program at Texas State University. She's also written a book uh, called Integrating the 40 Acres, uh, which is a book about integration uh, at the uh, University of Texas in Austin. Uh, Peace and blessings be upon you, Dewana. Thank you for joining us on the Drive Time Show today. You're welcome. And so we're talking about uh, Juneteenth, although today is the 20th, <laughs> a day after. But uh, yeah, better late than never, I suppose, Dewana. Uh, Juneteenth you know, was the start of uh, four African-Americans to have equal rights as uh, white Americans. Now, do you think, you know, in these 157 years, uh, enough has been done to achieve this? Has that journey reached anywhere near its end? I don't think so. Mm. Um, I was, my friend sent me today Barack Obama's tweet about Juneteenth in which he said that we remember the struggle for freedom as we reflect on how far we've come as a country mm-hmm. and on the work that was undone. And I, I think it's a conversation I've had with my friend a lot about should we celebrate what we've done? And of course things are better, right? Like I'm a professor at a majority white school. Mm-hmm. I can live majority white neighborhood and it's all white except for me actually um but i don't know if individual achievements means that an entire race of people has succeeded so i think there's a lot more work to be done Mm -hmm. i think juneteenth is a good reminder of the work that we need to be that needs to be done um but i think there's so much more to be done Hmm. I mean, I was just reading uh, prior to the show um, about Rosa Parks. So, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of, you know, her uh, not getting up from her bus seat in Montgomery uh, in 1955. Um, so, you know, 1955, we're talking 45, 70, uh, 70-odd years. Yeah. What would you say then? So say, for instance, if you look uh, in a chronological order, you know, to even have thought uh, in this day and age, 70 years down the line, yeah, from that incidence of Rosa Parks. And, you know, I think the reports were that, oh, I think, um, you know, she was uh, she was ill and she didn't, you know, she, that's why she didn't uh, get up off her seat. But actually, you know, her true reason was that she didn't feel like giving up her seat for the sake right. of a white person. Why should I do yeah. that? You know, I'm a yeah. human being. And, and rightly mm-hmm. so. 
So, you know, that's, that's, if I frame the chronological or, um, I suppose, the context of it, do you, where do you think that, um, I suppose, uh, emancipation or the, the <laughs> you know, fro- from the, ins- in, uh, I'm just trying, I'm f- f- um, tripping over my own words here, sorry about this, but from uh-huh. Juneteenth, the inception of Juneteenth and that idea that beginning of that journey to these incidences of, say, Rosa Parks, of uh, in 1995, the Million Man Walk. Where are we then uh, in that, you know, that, that, that fight for a true emancipation and true, I suppose, equality for, for yeah. um, African-Americans? Well, I, I, would, I would say until there is economic equality, mm-hmm. we're not there. I think until the public schools are equal. I think until we stop incarcerating mass numbers of black and brown men and women. Um, I do think if you look at states like Illinois that have legalized marijuana and gone back and expunged the records of people who had been arrested and had their lives turned asunder from that, I definitely think those are starting points Mm-hmm. Um, but I just think until we get economic equality and stop arresting and incarcerating people of color and the voting rights, I think you until there is a voting rights act that protects people's right to vote, you know, ironically, I'm in Texas, I'm not, I'm not from Texas, um, and I'm in, in a state where Juneteenth originated you know where this whole thing launched and mm-hmm. yet it's all for people of color to vote in this state and yes. you know of course it's fun. um mm. but it's how we can vote in a way that's easy and accessible and the counties aren't gerrymandered so that only white conservatives and represent i mean they're hispanic conservatives and they're black conservatives but it's just a way to to maintain power in, in the hands of a very few people. Um, I don't think we'll be there yet. Mm. So I, I suppose with that answer, you know, I, I was going to ask you, you know, do you think uh, African-Americans have actually the same rights uh, currently as white Americans? I mean, you know, you were talking about um, as only and if and only, um, you know, African-Americans have economic equality then will there come actual racial equality um so do you think you know that there has to be maybe a change in positive discrimination i mean where would that change come from um would it come from you know uh bedrock and what i mean by bedrock is actually from you know from schools you know uh, dispelling these uh i suppose not myths but these stereotypes um, like we have them even over here. The black is uh, a negative connotation, you know, the black sheep of the, the family and so, uh, so on and so forth. So until we actually eradicate uh, or, you know, change those mores at an early age, um, uh-huh. you know, would that be a way and form to go on? Yeah, I, I definitely think that reimagining how people of color, specifically black people, are seen in this country and across the globe is certainly a first start. I really, and I, I, I'm sure some of this is because 
I believe in education and my mother was a teacher and mm-hmm. I was a teacher and um, I just think you have to start in the schools and until all children have equal access to really good public schools, I don't know how you change what happens later. Mm-hmm. And so if you have these schools that are equal and are teaching and are teaching about the history of different groups and really getting people to understand what it has meant historically to be a marginalized person in this country. Because I think the other thing that needs to happen is that white people need to do their part too. Mm-hmm. They've created the problem of racism. They've created white supremacy. They've created these institutions and these systems that keeps white people in power. And so they they need to do the work too in order to to dismantle these systems. And, you know, when I say this, people get upset and, Mm -hmm. you know, what do you expect us to do? And I spoke about Juneteenth in an article when some random white man in Long Island emailed me, looked me up and emailed me to tell me how wrong I was and I should be happy to have Juneteenth and looks like I've made it. Why am I so angry? And it's like I have a right to help other people just because I've, quote, made it. Mm-hmm. doesn't mean I don't have a responsibility to reach back and help other people. Um, and so I think some of it is dismantling these systems, but it's, it starts with education. It stops, it starts with not suspending young black kids for doing things that really they shouldn't be suspended for. It starts with restorative justice in the public schools and in society. It starts with the police. And, you know, I used to be, my students have really, help me see policing in a different way mm. because I thought it could be reformed. And now I just say it needs to be dismantled. We need to rethink policing. We need to think, rethink what laws are. We, we need to rethink all of this. Mm. And until we do that, we're just going to have more of the same. Yeah, because I think um, when we had, you know, and it actually did um, sweep <laughs> the globe, uh, the hashtag Black Lives Matter movement uh, with the death of George Floyd and you know that was I suppose um, you know just a a jolt really to actually Uh say Uh that right actually this is you know the the the, the, this is the reality of life in the US uh, as a black person as an African-American and I think subsequently I was um, reading someone's comments on Twitter uh, a Caucasian um, I, I think he uh, from where was it from Georgia so he was driving uh, to Texas uh, not Texas sorry Dallas I should say Texas okay. I'm taking t- t- taking yeah. your state right but he was driving yeah. to Dallas which is in Texas I suppose with a, a black friend and as mm. they were approaching uh, the city um, I think the friend the black friend was like driving and he said right you know what I'm going to have to just pull over. I'm going to mm. get my ID out and get that ready. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And you know, his, his, his friend said, well, why are you doing that? You know, you haven't even been asked, right? We haven't even seen any police. You know, why are you doing yeah. that? Said, to avoid being shot. So <laughs> yeah. we yeah. might think of that as being a joke because, you know, the the... To start off, we don't have guns in this country in in the sense of, uh-huh, uh-huh. you know, they're not so mainstream. Uh, we can't get them so uh, um, easily in the UK. There's yeah. a lot of gun regulation here. But even so, the police uh, would not, you know, be that, I suppose, racially biased um, right, in this country. Events. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the the end of that story was that, you know, it beggar belief for, for the white guy because he's like, well, I don't understand that. And right. uh, in reply, his friend just said, well, because you're white. Mm-hmm. This is privilege. This is white privilege, right, that you have. And you don't realize that. Yeah. So these are, I suppose, some of the institutions or the structures that you're, you, you yourself are talking about, Dawana. Yeah, and one of the things I tell my students, so I, I teach African-American studies classes, which tend to be predominantly, if not all, black. And then I teach history classes that tend to be predominantly, if not all, white. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I try to tell my white students is you need to find yourself a black friend and hang out with them because you will see things you didn't expect. Because, and this is where I will, I put it in quote, defend white people, that how would you know what my experience is like unless you've actually spent time with me? And you've gone into stores and watched people not help me and Mm -hmm. bypass me for other people. That we live in such a segregated world that I think white people, which is the white privilege, right, that they don't have to even see it or know about it or learn about it, that they can interact in the world and say, well, I didn't. I didn't see it. What are you talking about? What, mm-hmm. Why Why would you do that? I don't have to do that. Um, mm-hmm. And so if there were more white people, I, mean, I have these conversations with my students, my black students, do you want white people in these African-American studies classes? And most of them say, no, I want this space for us. Mm-hmm. But as a teacher, I think I want these people in here too so that they can learn and listen and we can have a dialogue that they may not get anywhere else. Mm. But then, um, then Duana, going back to something that you said earlier in the piece, that you know, it's it's also whites' responsibility, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. Then you know, you just saying that that you know, you ask your students who are in the um, black um, black African studies that you you take uh-huh. or you give, and they themselves say, no, we want our own space. So yeah. you know, that shows you that that it, it kind of like it cuts both ways, doesn't it? It it does, and it's, uh, and I get what they're saying because it's probably, and will be the only class where they are in a class with other people who are like them, mm-hmm. and so I get it. But I, and again, it gets back to why should we have to teach them? Why can't they go teach themselves? Mm. And that's a fair criticism too. That in the same way that I tell my students all the time, you'll go on YouTube to figure out how to put on your makeup. <laughs> White people can learn about racism without coming into these classes, but I also think I am a teacher, mm-hmm. and this is my job. But I, so I, yes, it's I get it. I get their concern because their their thoughts are I have to take I don't know. I guess I take forty classes, um, and two or three of them are going to be predominantly black. Can I just have this for us? And so mm-hmm. I get it. Mm-hmm. Um. Dwana, you you written a, you wrote a book um, integrating the forty acres on uh-huh. the struggle for equality in Texas University, and and you work at yeah. the university as a history professor, like you've you've mentioned. Have you have you experienced any inequality? Oh, all the time, all the time. Really? Um, yeah, so I've been in this town for three years, and not even quite three years, and I've been pulled over by the police three times, mm-hmm. and my white colleagues have have been here for years and said I've never been pulled over by the police. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's always, you know, racial profiling, and, they say, and it's the same thing as the the white man in Georgia with mm-hmm. the black friend that yep. 
I have everything out. And, and the last time I got pulled over, he was very nice. Um, but I just sort of panicked and was crying and, you know, do you have anything in the car? And I'm, and I said to him, I'm terrified. And he, and it was a white cop. And he said, why are you afraid? And I think he thought I was afraid because I had something in the car. And I said, mm-hmm. I'm afraid that you're going to shoot and kill me. Wow. And he looked at me really surprised. And he said, ma'am. And he said, why? And I said, because you're white and I'm black. And I know what white cops do to black women like me. Wow. And he paused and he said, ma'am, the thing you need to understand is those people all had guns. And I said, that's not a reason to kill people. And mm-hmm. he just, he was very nice. I don't know if it shook him up the way it shook me up. I mm-hmm. hope he rethinks what it means to just pull over people at 10 o'clock in the morning mm-hmm. and to, you know, decide that, you know, I'm up to no good. And I had, well, I had my dog hanging out the window. And so of course I was afraid, is, he, is my dog going to bite him? But and I think it's the thing that white people don't understand what it means to live in this country and to be seen as suspect. And, I'm, you know, of course I'm thinking, sir, I have, I have probably more degrees than generations of your family. Mm-hmm. But you have just decided, here's this black girl. She's out at mm-hmm. 10 o'clock in the morning. Why isn't she at a job? Her dog's hanging out the window. This doesn't all fit what he thinks it's supposed to fit. Um, and so I think it's stuff like that. Some of it's not as ma- you know major. Some of it's just going into a store, and not having someone help me, and having to ask for help, and or standing in line and them helping the white person behind me. And and I've been in situations where white people have been really good and have said, "I'm sorry, she was ahead of me. She goes mm-hmm. first. And so I appreciate that they are willing to stand up. But so much of what happens is passive. And when when you sent me that question, and I thought. Oh, which story am I going to tell? Because I think if you ask most black people, we all have every day. It's a story, or mm. and it's you, it's just so we're so used to it that I think we often don't even think about it. So, do you think that is also a problem then, uh, Dawana? That you know this constant drip, drip um, racism, yeah, you know, whether it be structural or in te- or you know upfront intentional. Um, it kind of like I suppose you become deadened to it, and that you know what that's just that's just how it is, and let's just get on with it. Yeah, I mean, I I definitely have to decide: will I speak up, or do I just let it go? Mm-hmm. Do I go home and write a letter? And I mean, I've gotten into it with some people, and have said if if I'm in a store, and I'll and I'll say. I don't think you know what I do for a living. I have a lot of free time and I know how to write. And so I'm, <laughs> I'm that person who's writing letters to the company and explaining okay. and tweeting. Yeah. Um, with Twitter, I can you know tweet at mm-hmm. whatever and explain what happened. And so, I mean, I think the thing that it does for a lot of black people is it causes so much trauma, just mm-hmm. so much emotional trauma and always being on edge. And, and I think that's the other thing I mean, there are many things, but one of the things I think a lot of white people don't understand is why we always seem so edgy because mm-hmm. we're just waiting and it's not. And I think so many white people, well, I don't understand. And can't you just see the good in people? And I, you know, at some point it just, it's hard, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's hard to have these friends who will say things. I go to this gym and they'll play rap music. And there was a white girl there one time and she's, singing along to the words and they're dropping the n-word and i'm looking to see <laughs> she's gonna say oh. the n-word oh <laughs> no 
<laughs> yeah, because they think they think it's 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 appropriate. Yeah, that, that I'm your yeah. brother, so to speak. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Terrible. Yeah. Exactly. Terrible. So, so. Do I? Uh, I've got a question um, which I'm still forming in my mind, but I just want to put it out there. Uh, I mean, this is the voice of Islam. We we always try and bring in Islam's perspective of of contemporary issues and and equality this uh, the, the issue that we're discussing today juneteenth the, the, the and of course the history that it has um with slavery uh, abraham lincoln uh, i mean signing the proclamation declaration um if we look at it from history the holy prophet muhammad peace and blessings of allah be upon him over 1400 years ago he came into a society where slavery was prevalent um, and mm. and people would Arabs would would um, would have slaves, um, they would torture their slaves, um, and it was the norm of society. So he established ways um, that slaves were then slaves were then freed, but then they were elevated in society. Um, mm. And one of those the most famous of those slaves is Hazrat Bilal. His, his name is Bilal. Um, and he was from Abyssinia, uh, and he was the, the the companions. He w- I mean, his elevate. He was he was elevated to such a status that the Arabs um, would call him our chief. Um, mm. And just just one or two ways which I wanted to to explain how the Holy Prophet abolished slavery at the time. He first of all he prohibited further slaves being made and he said that I mean, this is oh, wow. he said that no slave can be made anymore um and then he said that by elevating their status he was it was about how you approach them how you address them how you speak with them um you should you should feed them the way you feed yourself you should clothe them the way you clothe yourselves um and and another way was by by seeking um forgiveness from god almighty he said that if you want to seek God's pleasure, God's God's nearness, God's love, then you should. If you have a slave, you should free them. You should be kind to them. You should treat them like you treat your your own family. Um, and then, I mean, through many different ways, marriage was one of them, where he would oh. he would he would make these he would make uh, once they were freed he would he would marry uh, free women with slave men, and then once or or slave uh, or, or free men with slave women, and once they were married. They were then free members of society. You uh-huh. couldn't. T- uh-huh. They weren't given the title of slaves. So my question, after this whole introduction and this this <laughs> th- this uh, backstory, yeah, the backstory really, would is was the approach wrong or was the was the I mean obviously slavery at the, from, and, uh, from the onset was is completely wrong. No mm-hmm. one is condoning sure, sure. it. Uh, it shouldn't have happened in the first place. Um, but was is there a way now that we can, you, I mean, try and change the, the 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 mindset of people. How the Holy Prophet changed the mindset of of Arabians. He elevated their status. He made them members of society, free members of society, oh. and they and they were free. Um, is 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 that something which which needs? Is that is there a lack of education in in the way Americans had uh, or Abraham Lincoln had um, freed them? Uh, and not made them relevant members of society or free members of society. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a that's a great question. I I think reconstruction that period between 65, 1865 and eighteen seventy seven 
certainly tried to address that. And how do you take an entire group of people who have been only living as slaves? All their lives. How do you teach them how to, their whole lives, yeah. right? Like, how do you make them, um, you know, quote, productive members of society? And I think, I think there was there was legislation in place to do that. I think someone like, and I think Tuskegee opened in 1881, so it's a little after Reconstruction, and Booker T. Washington is he's a complicated figure in African-American history, but I do think schools like Fisk and Tuskegee and Howard University, these, these historically black colleges and universities, tried to do that. And there's, you know, of course, there's all this talk about reparations, and do you give reparations, and I think handing out money to people is certainly, uh, you know, I'm not going to, I don't, I don't know enough about reparations to make an informed argument about whether or not that's the way to go. But I think the structure of society has to change. I think, you know, it's, it's giving people jobs, it's giving them housing, it's giving them education, it's giving them opportunity and freedom. And, you know, that whole life, liberty and pursuit of happiness that you can't really do that if you're born into a household on the wrong side of the railroad tracks, right? Like, I think about how I grew up. My parents were very young when they got married and very young when they had children, but they believed in education, and so they strategically bought a house in the right neighborhood Mm -hmm. and sent us to school and really monitored our education and, you know, did all this stuff so that their children would be successful. Yeah, yeah. And that clip was explaining about Juneteenth and we'll be discussing this um, further and more highlights from June um, after the news. We're, you know, it, it's, been a, it, it's, it's been a great um, recap of, of this topic so far and of course, uh, we're yeah. going to go into it in more detail just after the news. But, um, and we'll be discussing caregivers, fasting and a lot more from June. We'll see you back after the news. You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. That was the news. And so, we're looking back at June, and June has been an interesting month for this year. We've, we've discussed Juneteenth previously, um, and before that we, we discussed um, the Jubilee. Um, so, we want to go back to uh, about mid-June, um, and think about another topic that was really good, which was uh, caregivers. Um, and, you know, we rise by lifting others. And, you know, Raheel, just, just tell me a few a few things about what's the importance of just caring for others. And, and, you know, we rise by lifting others. What does that mean to you? Yeah, I mean, it's um, it, was, it, 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 was, it was an interesting program because, um, you know, as, as, as young individuals, you know, the gap between young and the old, um, and first of all, why that gap why that gap exists, and then it's toll on the government because then government has to provide, you know, care care services mm. for for elders, um, and uh, you know, it's, it's I think the UK alone has about six point five million carers. Uh, now, if that was if that was the case that you had a system in place where the children thought that it was the responsibility to take, take mm. care of their parents, now of course there there are times where the parents or elderly need a special assistance yeah. right now that that's something else we're saying in in a normal circumstance 
um, you know, that should be the case. And this is something we find in a lot of cultures. Um, you know, our culture, yeah. uh, you know, especially within our religion, there's a lot of emphasis of taking care, taking care of your parents, right? Yeah. Get a lot of respect when 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 they reach an old age. Um, don't even say uff. Yeah. Right. We, we find this in the Holy Quran. Yeah. Right. You know, even, don't even an expression of this. Uh, oh. Showing your dis dis displeasure, 100%. because you can never pay back what your elders or your your, your parents have actually done for you, right? Yeah. And and that that aspect of respect is always maintained. So there's a hadith of the Holy Prophet peace upon him where he says that if a young man honors an elderly on account of his age, Allah appoints someone to honor him in his old age. So it's just I think it's uh, it's get it's, it's, older, yeah, it pays back. So you know the people talk about karma and all these things. Yeah. Um, you know people that have you know because it's it's very honest if 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 you have really looked after your parents and it's because it's always a whole system we see it like after 18 children are independent they do their own thing they mm. they have to build their you know their their own career they, they, they've got children now the children reach the age of 18 and then the parents are in care homes or whatever they've saved for their retirement they're basically dependent on that but there's a big crisis um that we refer to as loneliness mm. right which is you know, felt by a lot of these elders that have nobody to yeah. talk to and this is something that's heartbreaking, and I think this is where uh, you know we were we, we were speaking about carers you know, who play a main and uh, many vital roles in our you know our, our lives, such as parents, caregivers, foster carers, teachers, nurses, and so on. And and, and as I was mentioning, six point five million carers. Um, but how do how much do we know of the, of their own challenges? And yeah, every year, you we know, discussed it in June because of Carers Week. Didn't exactly, we? exactly. Carers Week is run for you know one week in to to actually raise awareness of uh, caring and 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 their essential role essential role in contributing towards families and communities in the UK. Now, remember, I was speaking about Quranic verse, chapter hmm. seventeen, verse twenty four says, "The Lord has commanded worship not none but Him." And show kindness to parents if one of them or both of them attain old age with thee. Never say unto them any word expressive of disgust, nor reproach them by dress them with excellent speech. You see, so it, there's so much emphasis in Islam of of giving respect to our elders, and and there's a statement of Prophet Sayyid is very interesting. He says, "Garhif se marat um, garhif se is in the is is in the is is in Persian. Yeah. What it actually means is that if you don't if if you don't uh, give due respect or you don't you know give due regard for the status of people whether yeah. young or old then that individual always lives in you know sort of discomfort mm. life right an individual who doesn't truly have regard for doesn't have you know if for, for you know you have to give respect to the young as well as the old but the level of respect and yeah. understanding that that this individual uh, you know, deserves this type of respect, or yeah. this, you know, this individual. You know, be aware of it. Be being being aware of it mm. is something that's very important as well. Treat people because the prophet said as well. Treat treat people according to their rank, right? Yeah. You've got to treat treat people according yeah. to their rank, and this is something uh, very very important. Yeah, and you know, talking about Carers Week, um, and we've got some. So, according to Carers Support Centre, taking on a caring role can mean facing life of poverty, isolation, frustration, ill health, and depression. Many carers go unidentified until many years into their caring role, and the majority struggling alone, unaware that there is actually help available to them. And families affected by illness or disability um, are facing tough times at the moment, and it has never been more important that they know their rights. So. Things like Carers Week are really important. And that's why we wanted to like highlight this in our reflection of June. 
uh, as as you were mentioning, you know, we, we like to bring the example of the the Holy Prophet peace, uh, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, um, where he where his benevolence benevolence is shown, where um, in the recitation of uh, chapter twenty one verse one hundred eight. And we have sent thee not but a, as a mercy for all peoples. Um, it was actually the <coughs> the Holy Prophet, may uh, the peace and blessing of Allah be upon him, himself who said, you will not be a believer until you love for your brother what you love for yourself. And that's from Bukhari. And I think that that that, that, that sums it up for me. Uh, when I read something like that and when I understand that, when you really sit there and you think, I want to... I want mm-hmm. to wish this on someone else the way I wish it for myself. You know, everybody has hopes, everyone has dreams. But to actually sit there and be like, you know what? Everything that I desire, I hope this stranger gets it or this person that I care about or whoever they are. To to do that, I think, gives you another sense of humility which really makes you put things into perspective. And you can understand that, you know caring for others and actually wishing them well because you know there's a lot of things that can happen in all walks of life you feel competitive you feel jealous you feel there are all these different things but if you actually sat there and and you said you know what i would be happy if people other people succeeded just as way i would be Mm. happy and to have that i think really really like epitomizes the teachings of the of islam and and the example of the holy prophet may be peace and blessings while i be upon him so for me i think that carers are such an important part of society and mm-hmm. they as as mentioned they can often be forgotten and you know yeah i mean you know the recent um strikes and all of these things and mm-hmm. you know people have opinions whether this and that but the reality is 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 these people should also be looked after people mm-hmm. that you know doing this um this the they, they, I mean, to be honest with you, they, they they're being paid pennies for the for the actual work sure. and care that they give. It's not just the amount of hours, you know, the amount of, um, you know, love and care, and and the way they deal with the you know the patient goes a long way, well, right? And, and 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 I think this is not, and this is not being taken into account. You know, you've got corporations taking in billions, right? Yeah, and you know, in 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 profits, and then to say, oh, you know, inflation, and you can't. It it doesn't make sense, right? So so I think this is the thing where I think governments or those in authority need to be honest, you know, about these things. If if they because at the end of the day, um, they 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 are going to spend much more fixing things than if they just support what's what's already there, mm. you know, people's needs, and especially these people that are in, in in place security for them, you know, financial sec- actually security for these people that are coming in at you know eight nine o'clock in the morning and some of, the, some of them leave even later than, you know. But it's not just the length of hours; it's, it's the yeah. work that they're doing. Like how, mm. like you know, it's, it's not stressful. easy to it's it not is. easy to help someone who is unable to go to the toilet to clean themselves and to yeah. you know these types of things. That's 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 not easy to do, mm. and to be paid so little for it, I think you know it's 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 a shame. Mm-hmm. It's a real shame. I think it's a shame having for for them to to be you know to be having to ask. Yeah. For for a fair you know for a fair share yeah right they're not you know to to be and that's why you see a lot of people a lot of doctors that graduate or stuff like that they move yes, they yes. move away from and, and they yeah. go to private private uh, you know hospitals and private institutions because yeah. you know they they just can't you know they can't cope yeah you know to be very honest 
Definitely, it's not like they're asking for too much, or they say they're looking at f- footballers and saying, you know, hey, we want the salary <laughs> exactly, of, a, yeah. of, a, of a footballer. But no, I think I think it's really important to to highlight that, and that's why we have things like Carers Week. So why don't we discuss a little bit about what it is? Mm-hmm. So ever since the pandemic, there has been an increase in the amount of care needed. However, this has had far-reaching effect on unpaid carers. Many resorted to taking over responsibilities as carers for relatives and friends who are ill, disabled or elderly. Carers Week takes place (coughs) annually and is a campaign which aims to raise awareness of caring and highlights the challenges unpaid carers face and recognise the contribution they make to families and communities throughout the UK. So it it is really important, right? Don't you feel? Because it's... I think the pandemic highlighted it, but there's a lot of people who are looking after others without any help, right? Like, mm-hmm. you could do, for example, if someone is less mobile, to help them get to the toilet, help them get to the t- dining table, to help them get them out of bed. These aren't easy things to do. Like, you know, you have difficult days and, and hard days and to constantly always, like, think about these things and worry about them. I and, think it's, and, it, it and takes And of course, um, I mean, these carers would have their own personal problems too. Yeah. Right, and on top of that, they have to, you know, go out there and 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 ba- basically help people. And so this is, I think, this is, uh, I mean, you can't highlight this enough, to no. be very honest. And um, uh, did did you mention his his holiness? No. The, yeah, I mean, his holiness uh, as as a Taharam of the fourth caliph of the Amdiya Muslim community. Um, he basically said in 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 his book Islam's response to contemporary issues. Um, he writes, the responsibility for care of the aged is gradually shifting to the state. Care of the aged represents a heavy burden on the national economy. However, much a state is ready to spend, it can never buy them peace and contentment. I think that's the most important thing. Um, and then you hear, you know, sometimes as well uh, of, and that, that's not a quote, that's, uh, I'm saying this, that you you hear of certain um, events or incidents where the carers have actually treated, you know, yeah. pa- patients with, you know, not negligence, ne- with negligence, or have actually, you know, um, abused them, abused them, mm-hmm. you know, to 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 be very honest. So, but if that came from someone like their own, their son, or their, mm. you know, their 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 daughter, yeah. then there will be there will be a lot more that that will be felt by, you know, that that individual. Mm. You know that's going through pain because there's a lot more connection because yeah. it would bring back memories that when, when this child was young, I took care of this you know yeah. this, this little child and now he or she is is taking care of me, yeah. right? And 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 then the big element of of that is the children of um, you know uh, the grandchildren, yeah. them being around, yeah. that whole atmosphere in the household, you know that 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 lifts them up. That yeah. just brings you know because there's some, there's always something going on. I think one of the biggest thing is I think one of the main thing is what his holiness mentioned. However, much a state is ready to spend, it can never buy them peace and contentment. The most terrible feeling of having been rejected, left out, and abandoned, and the most painful realization of a growing void of loneliness within our problems beyond the reach of many to resolve. To consider that a comparatively remote relative uh, relative would never be taken care of by the rest of the family has become almost impossible to imagine you know no definitely and i think that it's it's a really it's, it's sort of become a culture in the west i mean you, you, i mean you have to be very honest i mean i don't i don't know whether i don't know if you can correct me if i'm wrong 
that that this this idea of working for yourself is just for the self 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 yeah right and um i hope there are an attitude of selflessness yeah selfishness. i i i hope there are families out there where they have this tradition because i don't think this i don't i don't really think these are british values you know mm. we discuss british values in islamic values. Yeah. i i think there were a time let's say we go 50 60 years back or 100 years back where parents did you know or children did take take care of yeah, their yeah. you know i think maybe we need to research on this yeah. a bit more and did it discuss this in another program or something yeah. no definitely cuz the thing is is that I, i think i think i've realized it um, a lot more since becoming a parent i think that a, a lot of people don't realize how much your parents did for you when you cried mm. they fed you you know they stayed exactly. up late with yeah. you making you know and they're not doing this to expect something in return exactly. but it's just a natural just just that just at that child imagine that child can you life. ever think that your son one day just sends you to a care home yeah you can never imagine yeah. this right cuz Well, I'm hoping there'll be robots <laughs> or something to look after me by then. But <laughs> come on, man. <laughs> but yeah, no one, one at home. <laughs> but, but yeah, no, I, I hear you. I think that it's, it's just you know, obviously there's there's certain situations where you know there's special medical attention that needs to be given on Absolutely. a daily basis. Yeah, I think right? we, like, yeah, we, we, we can't generalize. There are exceptions, yeah. and, and there's no, there's no way. But exception, exception doesn't become a rule. Yeah, I think that's that that's what we need to. Yeah, that's what we're trying to em- uh, you know em- emphasize here. Um, no, definitely. I and think that contentment element is very important. Is is seeing and living within your means. It's just a constant chase of more, more, more. It's yeah. It never. It ne- you can never be. You know. Con- you you can never really sit down. It, there's always agitation and anxiety within yeah. you. I think that's that's the main thing. Yeah, I think if you concentrate on this rat race to just be successful, successful, get money or whatever, you forget about what's important. And if you leave a parent or a loved one in a home because you're yeah. so busy trying to get that. I remember I remember there there there, there was a I think I was in I was listening to this one of these videos so where someone uh, you know and first I said an actor or someone was an Indian actor you were saying that because there was a time when we us you know ch- children and parents we used to sleep in one room. right and 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 i could hear my mother or my 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 siblings if anything was wrong and stuff like that he goes the day my mother passed away mm. he was he said i we were in this mansion 10 12 bedrooms and he goes we did, i couldn't even hear my mother when she died wow so she died in a room me n- not me knowing yeah. that she died so she, he said he said he said how is this a blessing for me yeah. and you're just saying this so it's just this realization yeah. right that that came from within that although i've got such a huge such a house and such a successful career and everything but in the last moments i wasn't able to be there for my mother yeah. right and that's i think that's something that's huge and i think it, this real realization does come to people mm-hmm. um and there was no it's too late yeah exactly exactly and so what Balance. can we do what what can we do to help right there's we're talking about carers and and so if you are someone who cares about unpaid carers there are plenty of ways to get involved in carers week mm-hmm. the week itself is brought to life by individuals groups and organizations across the UK who come together to raise awareness for carers you can reach out to carersweek.org and join their campaign to demand a recovery and respite plan for unpaid unpaid carers by the government to ensure that all carers get the support they need As according to Carers UK, Carers UK and the six other charities involved with Carers Week 2022 are calling on government on the government to outline additional support for carers across a range of areas including breaks, respite and care services, infection control, identification of carers, financial help 
and support to juggle work and care. Doing so would recognise the enormous impact the COVID-19 pandemic has had on carers' lives as well as the people they care for and help to mitigate some of the negative impacts that caring can have on carers' own physical and mental health. That just reiterated to me, imagine having a full day's worth of work and then having to go and care for someone who is incapable to help themselves. Like that's, That's not easy and I think that you know, there is, if, if if anyone listening is a carer, they should know that there is help and that they can get involved in this um, campaign. So, um, it's also, uh, I want to I wanna draw a point on, on a, a Quranic verse. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we, we, we're we Voice of Islam, we like to bring the Islamic of pers- course, perspective. Of course, of course, important. Um, so, Allah says that we... Uh, should be the first and take initiative initiative to do good to others but if others have been kind have been kind to us in the first place we have no choice but to return the favor um in chapter 55 verse 61 the reward mm-hmm. of goodness is nothing but goodness mm-hmm. i think that, that, that that's really that's really nice to see it's like you know is some teachers um and god has instructed us that take the first initiative like you know be good to someone else because if someone's good to you yes right then you need to like there there, it, there has to be a reciprocation mm-hmm. and i feel like that's 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 a really nice message because if everybody went out with the with the intention to be kind to other people mm-hmm. and make that first step then the whole world would be a better place right mm-hmm. absolutely i mean there's no doubt um that you know i think Remember we were discussing earlier the 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 reward of goodness, nothing but goodness. And mm. but the thing is, Islam, you know, it begins. I mean, we, we often discuss this. It, it it begins at the level of justice, right? Um, doing uh, doing good to others and expecting that in return, and then it goes to um, ihsan, right? Mm. Doing goodness, but you know, expecting nothing in return in a way. But then there is there is something that's ev- even beyond that, and and that's that's and that of course, and, and there 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 are slight differences in, uh, in that, and that that's uh, known as ita idil qurba, like treating others as you would treat a relative, yeah. right? Uh, so you know when you do a goodness to someone, let's say you give charity yeah. to someone, like you know on the, on the road, someone like homeless, you don't you don't expect something in return. Yeah. But then you still have this element in your in your mind that oh i've done good of goodness towards this individual yeah but does a mother have that same fe- feeling yeah. towards her child or, or we were discussing as parents when we yeah. do something good for our children They're we not, never feel yeah. we never expect a, 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 a anything in return yeah so that's the pinnacle of 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 how islam looks at things but what, what it says is that naturally if you go with the intention of doing good to others hmm. and you don't want to get one over uh, like we see in today's society exactly. right naturally you will attract such people that mm. that goodness won't come your way. Hundred percent. Right? And in a, in a, in a, in a long run, you're not you you won't lose because you know they say that good people always lose. You've got this idea yeah. that you know good nice people, guys nice, last. nice yeah. guys finish last. All mm. of these things. Now the point is, we're not in the same race mm. as the people of the world. I think that's something that 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 we need to de- define for ourselves. If we're if if we're talking about the same race, then that's true. You know. You know that in in worldly matters, our criteria is totally different. Yeah. You know, we've we've that's been set by uh, Islam and 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 the Holy Prophet ﷺ and his teachings that that complete reliance upon God. You and know, nice guys finish first. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and we've got in 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 the sight of God. You know, the Prophet said something very interesting. He says, 
and I, I and I hope I don't mis mis misquote this. Uh, I'm not quoting this actually. I'm, I'm just paraphrasing it. Mm -hmm. He says that that um, that loss, sorry, yeah, that loss, uh, which is uh, which is um, sorry, that that victory which angers God. Right. I mean, that loss is better than the victory that uh, that angers God. Right. So right? the loss that loss in this life is, is right better is than, better uh, than, than the victory, victory that angers God. That, ang that angers God. Right. So from from our, you know, a lot of people, <laughs> they they, uh, I mean, they they they're making money or they've achieved things through illicit means. Yeah. Stepping right? on other people and and, and, think, and then they say, God did. Right or yeah. or God did it for us or God yeah. was there for us, <laughs> bro. God had nothing to do with this, right? Yeah. There, there, there is a mechanism in this world. Allah Almighty has placed that you know those who, you know, there is a, a system, you know, in in place of people that work towards something would achieve it. Yeah. Right. There's there's a verse in the Holy Quran with with regards to it as 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 well. Yeah. Um, that wherever one turns his, his you know attention to. He he would actually achieve it. If yeah. someone prays and his intention is that the person sees me that I'm I'm, I'm very, you know, pious and, and righteous and I'm yeah, yeah, yeah. he's achieved that. Yeah. That person would have that perception, per, yeah. you know, perception of that individual. But that prayer is not accepted in in, in the sight of God. Yeah. So are you getting my point? Yeah. So I think that's the that's the thing. So we're not. It may in, feel like a victory to you in that moment because exactly. of what you're praying for, what you're hoping <coughs> for. But if it angers God, then it's not. A it's victory. not. It's not. In a, uh, yeah. So when we're not we're not we're not in the same race. Definitely. And so <clears throat> Islam has uh, a lot of teaching on on care in general. Um, you know, there's a lot of mentioned about love and care for orphans, mm -hmm. love and care for family and wife, and love and care for parents. Mm -hmm. um, so let's 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 talk about that for a mm -hmm. second. Um, so towards children, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, had great benevolence mm -hmm. beyond banning inf uh, infanticide. Infanticide. Um, the pro the Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, instructed parents to respect your children and cultivate in them the best of manners. Mm -hmm. He also was reported to have said, "No gift among <coughs> all the gifts of a father to his child is better than education." Mm. Um, the Prophet also goes on to uh, describe uh, love and care for orphans. Mm -hmm. um, the Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, himself having been an orphan. Uh, I think a lot of people forget that um, mm. himself having been an orphan paid special heed in caring for orphan children he said I um, he said and I quote uh, I am the one who looks after the needs of the orphan and brings him or her up in the best possible manner will be together in paradise like two fingers in of one hand wow he also said the best Muslim home is the one in which an orphan is treated with kindness and the worst is that in which an orphan is treated unkindly. And, you know... So powerful, isn't it's it? It's so powerful. It's, it's, it just makes you think that, you know, it's so easy for us to say that, hey... You know, it reminds me of a, of, of a very interesting uh, hadith where there was a companion of the Prophet, I don't remember the exact name, where mm. the Prophet saw him in a great distress and this is a companion who, who would always be in the mosque. Like he he wouldn't want his eyes off the prophet, right? Yeah. So he said. So Holy Prophet saw this and he said, "What's wrong?" And he basically replied, "The Prophet of God, uh, you know, of course, um, you know, we we expect to go to heaven, right, um, paradise, but of course, that your rank where you you are going to be in heaven, of course, there are ranks. We will never be able to achieve. And 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 my only worry is I w I won't be able to see you. Yeah. 
So then, you know, the Holy Prophet, uh, you know, peace be upon him, uh, basically, and then he prayed for him as well, mm. that, that may Allah make him in, make him from among those who are with him. Mm. Um, and but 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 and then that verse that we you know we find uh, in in the, in the Holy Quran where it says, Allah, whoever you know obeys Allah, Allah Rasul, uh, and the Prophet, fa'ulaika. So they will be among those, you know, in the who be you know who be among the prophets. Wasidikina, the truthful, you know, washuhada, yeah. the martyrs, and 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 the righteous, yeah. right? So 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 that that puts it into perspective uh, that how huge this this rank is of being with the prophet, yeah. for saying, and, and and he lifts up these two fingers, taking care of an orphan. How how huge that is! Yeah. So I think if people are, people really understood that, and 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 a lot of those people who who uh, you know don't have the blessing of 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 having a child. Right, they can look into, uh, you know, uh, taking an orphan and and, yeah. and 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 adopting them, and, uh, you know, adopting them and take taking care of them, and you know, definitely. And people do, of course, people do. But then, from an Islamic perspective, there's also an, a reward in the hereafter. Mm. You know, that's something that's uh, very interesting. Yeah, and so it it is a review show. So I feel like we should play a clip. Yes, we should, yes. We should. Um, let the listeners hear some some conversations that we had in um, absolutely in June. Um, I think we're going to go over to uh, Emily uh, Holzhausen, um, who has an OBE. Um, let's hear from her. Emily Holzhausen. Um, she's the Keris UK Director of Policy yeah. and Public Affairs. Um, with this introduction, uh, Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you, and welcome to a Voice of Islam Drive Time Show. Thank you, thank you for that welcome. Thank you, thank you very much for your time and 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 uh, sparing time for us uh, to um, you know enlighten our uh, guests about this very important topic of of um, the Keres Week. So we're discussing about uh, the importance of Keres in the society um, and uh, and 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 how they rise um others and how they you know without their help without their support it won't be possible for those who are in need to you know uh be helped uh, so um going straight to the um your uh, carers uk and carers week um can you tell us uh, a bit more about uh, this this specific week carers week yes I'm I'm delighted to, and I just want to say, you know, it's such an important introduction. Uh, caring is something that a lot of us do in our lives mm. for relatives and friends, who and close friends who mm. who uh, acquire a disability or have ill health or become older and need support. And people don't necessarily call themselves carers. You know, we are brothers and sisters first, or sons and daughters, mm. mothers, fathers, close friends. And that's what we call ourselves. Mm. So Carers Week, it's one week in the year. But really, we work all year round to talk about caring. But Carers Week is a real focus on what people do unpaid to support people. And it's something that um, many people find as part and parcel of their lives in their life course. Uh, it can be a very rewarding experience. 
mm-hmm. and people feel that they often give back to perhaps older relatives that have given to them when they were young and supported them. Hmm. Uh, some people feel that it's part of their duty and their their, their role in life, hmm. um, but it also comes with a lot of challenges as well. It can be very stressful dealing with the change or dealing with a condition that you you don't know about. Hmm. And um, what what we want to do during Carers Week is really recognise the role that that people do. Hmm. Um, and this year, and make sure that people get the support that they need. And I know mm. on Voice of Islam, you've been talking about uh, the different benefits that carers can claim, you know, extra money coming into the house to help pay for all those extra costs. You know, this is absolutely vital. Yeah. Uh, and so this year for Carers Week, which runs until Sunday, the 12th of June, we are looking at making caring visible, valued, and supported. So visible, we really want the general public to understand about caring, whoever we are, whatever we do, mm-hmm. whether we're young or old, whether we work or not, whatever community we live in, whatever religion we have, we want people to understand what caring is. Mm. And then we want, that doesn't mean to say you know, every person who provides caring needs to stand up and say, I'm a carer, mm. but if they want to, that's great. And valued so important to carers because people really mm. understand and that value comes in a lot of different ways mm. it can come through family understanding and appreciating what you do it can come through health professionals talking to you as an individual mm. understanding that you are the one who provides the support mm-hmm. when they are not there it comes through many different ways it could come through your employer um, Uh, really talking about caring in the workplace, giving you an opportunity to to maybe ask for flexible working or something uh, that you need to continue working, and then support. Mm. And as I've talked about, those are different ways that you can get support from your employer, from health services, uh, from care support, um, and and you can also claim different benefits, although... um, you know, we would we we want to see those increased mm. quite significantly. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it comes to, um, I mean, I know that a lot of the carers they do it voluntarily. Um, they do it out of their own will. And mm. there is, I personally think that being a carer and 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 caring for someone, and when you see the fruits of it, um, this is the best feeling ever, um, because you're doing something good. And you see the reward, and uh, so, but not everyone, of course, uh, you know, carers, uh, um, they receive, you know, the the perfect or the suitable allowance. So, do you think that um, the carers are they being given the worthy, uh, given a worth, uh, worthy and suitable allowance to what they are doing and and the task they are uh, uh, doing? Um, no, I mean, you started out with a very important point about how people feel um, rewarded, but it's very true that people don't get all the support they need. They don't get the practical support. They don't necessarily have enough breaks. We asked before the pandemic, about mm-hmm. one in four carers had not had a break for five years. 
Um, and the allowances that you talk about, you know, you can claim carer's allowance if you're providing hmm. at least 35 hours care for somebody who gets the right level of disability benefit, but it's the lowest benefit of its kind. It really doesn't appreciate and understand the value of the support that people provide. Mm -hmm. um, and we want to see that significantly increased um, uh, yeah. and, and the benefits, you know, the means tested benefits as well. And of course, you talked about the paid workforce, care workforce, and they too are very low paid. Yeah. And yet it's such an important job mm. caring for relatives, you know, caring for our relatives and friends who need support. Yeah. So the whole thing needs needs a really important look at. And it's so important as our society ages. Yeah. Uh, this this will become more and more important in in the future. So the level of the allowances, it's not just about the fact that uh, people can have financial hardship it's because allowances are too low it's also about the fact that people don't feel valued hmm. and that you know that's then they should be yeah they really should it's it's so hard isn't it if you do the work and and you're not <clears throat> sometimes it's a lonely place isn't it you're, you're continuously mm -hmm. working and sometimes you don't feel the help you need a a break you you just need time out but where are you supported and and then if you do take time out and you are looking after a loved one so well why, why can't you do that it's they're, they're your parents so a, a mm. lot of it people don't appreciate how much of a hard work it is and how much you're li having to leave three or four different lives to, to care for so many different people and i agree with you it's totally underpaid totally <clears throat> neglected undervalued and even still trying to get people to come into this profession and and a lot of it ends up being done by agency kind of workers who are literally doing it and they don't always have the heart and soul in it but but generally through um what i my experience is most of the people who work in this industry do it mm -hmm. because they want to do it because they mm -hmm. want to care for people Absolutely. and and we but we and we need to recognise that and pay the right amount of money and not just use and abuse the love that, that they have for this business. So I, I totally understand exactly where you're coming from, Emily, and really appreciate you giving us the time um, and explaining a lot of this. And we, we totally get it. And hopefully we'll be able to do justice in in this hour uh, and, and, and shine a light on, on this very important subject. Thank you very much, Emily. Not at all, not at all. And I just wanted to say, if people do need information and advice or are thinking about the fact that they need help, my my suggestion would be look for that. Mm. Don't feel guilty about asking for help. Lots mm. of people do feel guilty, and you really shouldn't do. Um, it's important <laughs> to find out what you can get as support. So thank you ever so much. Thank you. And that was uh, discussing the Carers Week and a reminder to get involved with that. Uh, we're going to move on to the Five Pillars of Islam, which was another topic that we discussed during uh, June. And um, we first have uh, a recording from Hamza Ilyas, who discusses the Five Pillars of Islam. Hamza Ilyas Saib, uh, who is a member of the Amdi Muslim community. Assalamualaikum to Hamza Ilyas Saib, and well, welcome to the Drive Time Show. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. Um, we're, t we're talking about five pillars of Islam, uh, something you know we're very, very much aware um, 
you know about we try to follow them you know with the best of our abilities uh, now Islam you know places a lot of value on congregational prayer why is this the case because man is not a solitary creature hmm. so Islam was meant for um, all people but the beautiful thing about Islam is that Islam does not rest uh, with addressing itself with the individual, it also reminds human beings of their communal responsibilities. Mm -hmm. And for that reason, when you have everyone uh, acting on his or her own interests, this often is what leads to disruption in society. In fact, we see it today uh, on a national or international level. You have different nations all vying with each other for their own interests and when their interests clash, instead of looking out for the communal good, oftentimes you find these disruptions on an international scale happening mm-hmm. where one nation um, prioritizes their, their own good over the good of the whole. And so Islam places great emphasis on uh, the concept of, of uh, a communal responsibility and a communal obligation and a communal engagement mm-hmm. because it's it's uh, one of the primary ways that physically people are encouraged to deal with each other in a positive and a beautiful manner mm-hmm. and also extends that benefit to the spiritual nature as well and you find that you know there's that old saying a family that prays together stays together mm-hmm. right so when everyone is spiritually aligned in praying for each other, mm-hmm. then you find that everyone benefits so much so that there's a hadith that uh, says that when a person prays for another person, mm-hmm. um, that the angels also say, oh God, give so-and-so, the one making the prayer, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the likes of the same. Mm-hmm. So it's that communal nature of Islam. It's the communal effort that Islam makes to not only reform and elevate individuals, but it also uh, aims to reform and elevate mm-hmm. uh, individuals collectively as a whole, and that's best done together. And that's the reason why, uh, one of the many reasons mm-hmm. why Absolutely. it is said that prayer and congregation has 25 or 27 or more blessings mm-hmm. than prayer made alone. Very interesting. I mean, just to add to this, um, you know, some may say there is also an immense value of uh, solitude in prayer. Um, you know, we know that the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, prior to his, uh, you know, him giving him being given prophethood, the station of prophethood, he would, you know, go go to, uh, you know, cave Hira and he would pray in solitude. Um, where does praying individually actually stand in Islam in, in relation to, of course, congregational prayer? So, uh, you know, the beautiful thing about this is that it's um, often looked at sometimes as an either-or situation, Mm. where the reality of it is, is that uh, God Almighty also says about eating, He says you can eat by yourself or you can, you know, eat with um, Mm -hmm. um, your family or with, you know, uh, collectively. So they both have their relative merits. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to prayer, obviously, there are the five congregational Um, or the five daily prayers um, where one is encouraged strongly to make them in congregation. Mm -hmm. But um, that's not the only prayer. 
There is the late night prayer, the Tahajid prayer, mm-hmm. uh, which is the most beneficent um, in the eyes of many. And God uh, especially mentions that in the Holy Quran, where he says that praying, mm-hmm. um, you know, in the middle of the night is especially acceptable to God. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the, 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 the biggest um, opportunities for one, um, because God also mentions that it uh, it, it is effective uh, in speech. In other words, it's it's very helpful in helping an individual frame their thoughts. So that's mm-hmm. one possibility, or one potentiality, rather. The second is obviously the Sunnah, the practice of the Prophet himself. He used to pray a few uh, rakats mm-hmm. before the obligational uh, congregational prayer, and in some cases before and after. So they both have their relative merit. One helps to foster the communal um, relations, and the other helps to uh, give a, an individual that time if they want to lengthen that prayer and talk to God as much as they'd like without having to, you know, maybe worry if they were leading the prayer, if maybe they were uh, causing some discomfort to the others. So they have the freedom to offer those individual prayers when not in congregation at all. Um, and that's also part of the Sunnah or the practice of the Prophet. Great. That's, that's really interesting. Um, because... The thought, the thought we had was, um, you know, Muslims are taught that to worship our Creator is the ultimate purpose of humanity. But, however, <coughs> equally, we know that God, being the all-powerful, all-knowing, doesn't need us to, you know, tell us our prayers, and He, he knows all of these things already. So, knowing that God does not need us, um, but our purpose is to worship Him, it can only be assumed that, in actuality, we pray because there's some benefit or need for us. Could you uh, please elaborate on how prayer helps an individual? Well, the reality of it is is that you know one can look up at the night sky and see the perfection in the sun and the moon and in the movement of the stars and um, you know people with telescopes are able to tell you things even greater than those things. Um, but the reality of it is that that <laughs> that when you go back to your day to day life, you go to your job, you go to your family you're faced with so many difficulties that are beyond your ability to control. So God says uh, in in the Quran, Udu'uni astajib lakum, pray unto me, I will answer your prayer. Mm. And how reassuring is that? Because that that is the panacea, that is the solution, that's the medicine for an individual who has limited resources, limited abilities, limited intelligence, and yet has a multitude of, of, of issues that face one beyond you know, your control in your day-to-day life. So here you have the creator of the universe saying, pray unto me, I can resolve your difficulties. And in reality, man is created weak, which is what God said himself. Mm-hmm. So prayer is not for God's benefit. God is perfect being the creator of the universe but man is imperfect and God doesn't stand in need of anything but man himself human beings we all stand in need of things and there are countless examples of of uh, those who were faced with some difficulty I um, and and meant and prayed to God and God resolved their difficulties Um, there was a story I I told a a few weeks ago when I needed to get my residential visa to travel from the U.S. to the U.K., and my visa application was denied. And uh, so much so that they told me, listen, you know, um, 
there's only two things you can have recourse to at this stage. You could either appeal the process and go through that formality, or you can start a fresh new application via the website, of course, and submit any new information that you'd like to include. Mm -hmm. These are the only two things, please, you know, but this is the end of our correspondence. So I said to myself, okay, well, um, the beautiful thing that uh, any Ahmadi Muslim has uh, as an option is Plan C, which <laughs> is to pray to Hazor because of the blessed institution of Khilafat, and you pray to Allah. I should say write a letter to Hazor, and you um, pray to Allah. And this is exactly what I did. And the I think... Uh, so this was a Wednesday night. They asked me to stop corresponding with them. I uh, prayed and I wrote a letter to our Hazor. And that Friday morning on their own, they emailed me, the very same officer who told me I had no other options mm -hmm. to stop corresponding with him, wrote me on his own accord and said that he himself, for whatever his reasons were, he didn't mention, but he decided to escalate my situation to his senior officer, and his senior officer took a look at my case and overturned the prior decision, and they um, mm -hmm. approved my visa. And then the gentleman asked me to kindly send my, um, you know, passport, etc. And that was a Friday, and I had the passport back to me mm -hmm. by Monday. Mm -hmm. So the reality of it is, I stood in need of mm -hmm. help due to my own weakness and limitation in resources and ability. So the real question here is, who caused that man to walk away from a conversation which he just said was finished? What caused that man to walk away and second-guess himself and then escalate his uh, final word to his senior officer, the one who has control over the hearts? So this is what God says to them, Pray unto me, and I will answer your prayer. So the reality of it is, is that everything that we do in regards to worship is for ourselves. It's for the perfection mm -hmm. of our own spirituality and relationship with God. Very interesting. Um, experience, is very, experience, as you, you're mentioning, um, is a very, very important thing. Um, in a wider and, you know, and secular society, what place would you say does prayer, prayer hold? We often hear, you know, the word thoughts and prayers after a tragic in incident. But is prayer alone, you know, is prayer alone usually enough? No, because we still have to eat, don't we? <laughs> Interesting. Yes, of course. The reality of it is, is that um, prayer must be accompanied by action, otherwise. You are, as the old saying goes, trying God. Mm. So part of the prayer um, that one makes to God is uh, beautifully encapsulated in the old American saying, and I'm American, I'm saying that it's probably a more international saying, uh, God helps those who help themselves. And this is the reality of it. The reality of it is that uh, along with prayer, you have to also do your part because part of the blessing that God has given you is in um, whatever capacity or ability that he has blessed you with. So it would be like, you know, someone 
telling the likes of Michael Jordan that he didn't need to train. He can just pray to God to, <laughs> you know, help him win the championships. Well, that wouldn't fly, would it? <laughs> Absolutely. Yes, very interesting. Thank you so much, uh, Brother Hamza. I mean, we could speak to you for hours. Uh, <laughs> and that was Hamza Ilyas talking about uh, the five pillars of Islam. And our final uh, look back to June 2022 is about media bias, news coverage of Ukraine and Afghanistan. And we will be talking to Khalid Beydoun. Khalid Beydoun is a law professor, author, and public intellectual. He serves as a law professor at Wayne State University and also the author of the critically acclaimed book, American Islamophobia, Understanding the Roots and Rise of Fear. Good afternoon. Peace be upon you. Assalamu alaikum and welcome to the Draft Time Show, Professor Beydoun. Assalamu alaikum. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much for joining us today. Now, um, can media companies aim for neutrality when reporting wars? Is that something that has happened, can happen, will happen? Yeah, I think they can aim and they should aspire for neutrality, right? But the, the aspiration of neutrality is only dictated by uh, the, the representation and the composition of the, the journalists, right? Um, that is why, and I heard the last guy saying, there's a real need for more Muslim journalists because they'll be able to sort of leverage the kind of neutrality we need. How do you think, does... does I'm sure it does, but how does the media bias affect the the opinion of the public? Has that changed oh. since the uh, appearance of, of let's say, social media and, and, and the newer generation who tend to look at alternative sources than just the, the, the big giants? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, look, like the role of the, the role and the impact of the legacy media, and by legacy media, I mean traditional media outlets like ABC, Washington Post, the BBC, The Guardian, they dictate what stories, you know, make make it to the news. They dictate how the narratives of specific stories are constructed and curated. Uh, they dictate which subjects and individuals are humanized, classified as refugees, or classified, in the case of uh, the Ukraine, individuals who are liberators and freedom fighters and champions of democracy. The kind of labels and the kind of, um, you know, headlines that aren't attached to Palestinians or Kashmiris. Indian Muslims or Uyghur Muslims. So would you say, Professor, then, that media is biased? Because we do see a very different coverage of refugees from Afghanistan versus refugees from from Ukraine. And and we see one story dying suddenly, and then, you know, the other story emerges and, and nobody even remembers if there was a human living in Afghanistan. Yeah, I think more more than just bias. Look, bias is a, is a severe understatement of what's going on i would mm. say that the material that the media is systematically invested right they're systematically entrenched in making sure some stories are front center and focal to ukraine and, and then are entirely invested in not only the sidelining of issues like palestine um, or kashmir or what's happening in india with the muslim population there um, but are invested in sort of mutating those stories to you know generally make Muslims look like the bad guys and the villains, even though the even though they're the individual they're the individuals being occupied and oppressed. So we gotta move beyond this framing of bias. Bias is too sort of um Euphemism. Exactly. It's 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 too minimal Soft. an assessment of what's actually going on. And is this rooted in Islamophobia? 
I think it's rooted in a lot of things. I think Islamophobia play, plays a part, especially in the United States, here where we have, you know, a corporate-driven media, um, which, you know, converges with two decades of war on terror framing, where the media, remember, the media was part of the broader system of drumming, uh, you know, beating the drums for war, uh, the war on terror in Muslim-majority countries like Afghanistan and Iraq. Um, so the media, yeah, definitely plays a critical role. So where do we go from here, Professor, then? You know, this is, uh, we already live in very challenging times. And uh, if media is invested in creating injustice around, which is which is really at the heart of what of all of our problems, where do we go from here? Well, look, I think, I think with that assessment um, and that analysis, there's been, um, you know, a number of sort of developments over the years that make me optimistic. One of them is that the media isn't, as monolithic as it once was, you know, the sort of gatekeepers that legacy media outlets don't dictate and control the narrative as much as they do, you know, 10, 15 years ago as they do today. I mean, you mentioned the rise of social media with individuals, you know, having large platforms on places like Twitter and Instagram, um, being able to not only check and question the legacy media when they do things wrong, Right. Um, And to sort of push for greater responsibility and accountability when they get things wrong, but to also, you know, create their own presence as media makers as well. I'm somebody who prides myself on using social media in that way to sort of fill the voids of which stories are not being addressed um, by the media, whether it's the earthquake in Afghanistan yesterday, uh, which received, I think, you know, adequate media attention, to be honest with you, but not the kind of media attention. Um, that would be the case of an earthquake had taken place, let's say, in in Italy or, you know, in Spain, for mm. instance. Um, so I think that the rise of social media and the greater democratization um, of media um, and how individuals partake in making media today with technology um, makes me optimistic. So, Professor, then, uh, if you can go closer to home, closer to your home, that is, um, mm-hmm the the whole debate around gun violence and and um uh and gun ownership and rights thereof uh how optimistic are you about that in uh, in media uh, portraying um a, a more um a more positive uh, uh role? informed more informed and yeah, and, and creating a more positive uh, future for uh, for future generations of Americans. Yeah, well, look, I think I think the media is the media is more a mirror than it is a maker of policy, right? Um, especially with regard to gun policy. The reality here in the United States is before we can even address the media's role in you know affecting or perpetuating the ways in which you know gun control or gun access is being talked about is you know, undergirded by the reality that we live in, you know, we live in a country that is very politically uh, polarized, Mm. right? Uh, Republicans, people on the right are very staunch. They're very um, emphatic about having access to guns and they're very powerful and they're becoming more powerful as a consequence of what's happening politically. Mm. Um, And they have their, their sentiment, their perspectives are reflected by very powerful media outlets like Fox News. Now, in the United States here, Fox News has the greatest impact, has the greatest market share um, in traditional media. So the messages of the Republican Party are relayed and deployed by Fox News, which essentially has the effect of, you know, mobilizing people on the ground to be greater advocates um, of guns. 
So that's that's the reality here in the United States. You know, there's a range of culture wars along lines of race, religion, economics, um, political affiliation, ideology. Now, the media, again, because we're dealing with corporate media here in the United States, they're more concerned, especially in that this is one discouraging thing about media today is, you know, they're, they're more concerned with clickbaits, being salacious, being alarmist, instead of having an adequate um, an even-handed um, assessment of what's actually happening. And that was our June recap of 2022. Uh, that's all from us at the Drive Time Studio. Oh, we will see you on the next show. And we're going over to the news. Uh, that's everything from us.